Pushkin. Where do you see your career in 10 years? What are you doing now to help you get there? The sooner you start enhancing your skills, the sooner you'll be ready. That's why AARP has reskilling courses in a variety of categories like marketing and management to help your income live as long as you do. That's right. AARP has a bevy of free skill-building courses for you to choose from because the steps you choose to take today will help you love what you do in the future. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's Upswell marketing.com. There's this problem that's been going on in the background in the United States for a long time. The problem is this. There are not enough drugs to go around. This, strangely, is not about expensive new drugs that people can't afford. This is about old, cheap, generic drugs. Drugs that just are not available in sufficient quantities at any price. A national pharmacist group recently reported shortages of 309 of these generic drugs. There are multiple causes. It could be the bankruptcy of some little-known generic drug maker. could be a sudden surge in demand. could be the failure of some distant crop that is the source of an essential drug ingredient. It's a complicated problem built out of lots of little problems. But broadly speaking, the supply chain for generic drugs is long and opaque and exists largely outside of the United States. So it is very difficult to see these drug shortages coming. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and this is What's Your Problem, the show where I talk to people who are trying to make technological progress. My guest today is Christina Smolke. She's a professor at Stanford and the co-founder and CEO of a company called Enthea. It's a synthetic biology company. They're in the business of genetically engineering microorganisms to produce commercial products. Christina's problem is this. How do you turn yeast cells into tiny factories to create the active ingredients in drugs? If Christina and her colleagues solve this problem, they won't solve the drug shortage problem entirely, but they might help make it better. I actually started not in industry, not as a CEO of a company, but I started as a professor. And so there, you know, I was coming at the field in a more academic way, looking at here's the state of the technology. um, But think about how much more we could do if we really open this up. Um, And so, you know, it was really let's focus on the hard problems. Let's focus on the problems that people say right now are impossible, that you will never get this to work. The science just can't do it. 
Um, and let's figure out, can we actually, uh, you know, make these impossible uh, solutions possible to really address these problems? And so that's where it started, you know, for about 15 years of my career was really focusing on the, you know, foundational scientific breakthroughs that were needed to build a company like Anthea and really bring those transformations into the industry. So when you, when you're starting out, you're thinking, okay, there is this nascent field, synthetic biology, this basic idea. I want to advance this field to the point where we can make, you know, drugs or the active ingredient in drugs. Exactly. What are the things people didn't know how to do that you and your colleagues had to figure out? So there was a lot to figure out. And, um, you know, first and foremost, when you looked at where the field was uh, when we when I started in this space, most of where everybody focused and it's actually true still today is on engineering cells uh, to produce relatively simple compounds. So let's just take a step back. And, you know, we use yeast, very similar organism that basically identical organism that we've been using for centuries to brew beer, ferment wine. Right. So we have a longstanding history of that. That's biomanufacturing. But what the yeast are producing is ethanol, right? Uh, Carbon dioxide, very simple molecules that it does naturally. Now, take a step back. We want that yeast to produce a very complex chemotherapeutic, right? Or a very complex um, anti infective. How do we teach it to do that? And when you looked at where we started, you know, in this in this field, what the field was capable of doing was basically taking a organism like yeast and maybe moving, you know, three genes or three proteins into that organism. That basically allowed the industry to produce very simple compounds. Perfume, right? I feel like yeah. perfume was one of the big ones. Scents. Exactly. Yeah. Very close in structure to what the yeast could already make, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In order to actually make these, uh, you know, in drug ingredients, we had to be able to transform the field from thinking about and being able to sort of routinely move maybe three to six uh, genes or protein coding sequences into the cell to be able to actually move 20, 30 or more genes and Uh protein sequences into a cell. Uh And again, these drug ingredients that we rely on are so, you know, they're so different and they're so complicated from what yeast would normally make. Yeast was not built to make uh, no. <laughs> chemotherapy drugs, right? You used right, to not exactly. spend a billion years evolving to make the drugs we need to cure cancer. Exactly. So so is the basic problem that like, if you try and swap in that many genes at once, the yeast cell will just kind of blow up and die? Be like, what are you doing to me? I mean, is that the basic starting problem? Yeah, that was, you know, that was certainly, I would say the, the general sort of, uh, I guess, thinking at the time, right? And, you know, when we proposed to do this, you know, in my academic lab, we had a difficult time getting funding for it, even at like a research level, because the reviews would come back and say, this is, you know, this is impossible. There's no reason uh-huh. to even try to do this because it will never work. It's an engineering problem at a certain level at that point, right? That is the sort of, you have, if you you have the the genomic information, you know what genes you want, but you got to figure out how to make them work in a yeast, right? And I mean, I want to ask, how do you do that? Although I know that's like a 10-year-long answer. So maybe what I'll ask instead is like, is there one piece of figuring out how to do that that you can explain? You know, is there one one thing you had to figure out along the way where you came upon it and it didn't work and you figured out how to make it work? Yeah. And you're right. This is an engineering problem. It's a systems engineering problem, right? Yeah. So ultimately, we're asking the yeast to be this sort of mini nanofactory to produce drug ingredients, right? Um, so not these sort of macro factories we build out you know, in, in our world, but a really kind of a cellular factory. So what's happening inside the cell? One of the things that we brought to this field as sort of a very unique strategy was to say, 
you know, let's not, the cell is not just a bag, right? Where everything just sort of happens in this nebulous form. Let's really think smartly about the cell as a system and the biochemical environments that are in different locations of the wow. cell. And then when we change the sequence of the proteins, we would very specifically give the yeast directions of make the protein, make this particular protein in this part of the cell wow. because there's a particular pH yeah. in the producing environment, you know, and then, but this other part of, you know, the molecular machinery, this other steps of the proteins, we want you to actually make it in this other area of the cell. So just to write, to pick up on your factory metaphor. So it's like the naive way to think about the inside of the yeast cell is just like a big empty room. But but you're thinking like, no, it's not like that. I mean, if the factory is the analogy, it's like this part over here is like where we should be, whatever, putting the wheels on. And this part over here is clearly where like the robot arm should be bolting the chassis together because different parts of the inside of the yeast cell are different, are biochemically different. And some parts will work to do some things and other parts will work to do other things. And you can't do it in the wrong place or it won't work. Exactly. Exactly. Ah. I mean, that's the exact metaphor, right? And the exact way to think about it, right? And so let me ask just a few dumb questions about that, because it's interesting. How do you tell the cell where to do it? It ultimately comes down to the directions you put in the DNA, right? And, and it comes uh -huh. back to that gene coding sequence where, I mean, uh -huh. again, it's biology does remarkable things, but within, you know, within that encoded sequence, you know, there are directions of, you know, again, exactly what amino acids, you know, how you are basically making that protein amino acid by amino acid. But there yeah. are also directions that basically tell the cell and the cell's native machinery, no, you're going to actually make the protein over in this location, wow. right? Now we want you to transport it over there. We want you to move this over here. We want you to insert it into this membrane. So, you know, I mean, again, the cell is it's it's so sophisticated, right? Yeah, that's a really and we good just, one. Yeah. You know, we just have to um, basically be able to understand enough about the directions that the cell uses and reads in its own native processes, so that we yeah. can begin to leverage um, the you know the strategies and the routes that it has, you know, developed as a way to move proteins to particular locations in cells. So you figure that out over some period of time. Is there a first? drug ingredient that you get a yeast cell to make? Is there some like proof of concept moment? Yeah, there, yes, there was. So the drug ingredient um, that we initially demonstrated with this uh, is an ingredient um, called the bane. Um, and this is actually an ingredient that is extracted from medicinal plants. And it's an ingredient that's used to produce about half a dozen different drug ingredients from drugs that are used to treat, you know, very severe uh, pain to drugs that are used as rescue medications, um, to treat addiction, um, and as well as um, overdose. Like the drug that has the brand name Narcan? Was it naloxone? Yes. Like that? Yes. Oh, interesting. That, is, that, that drug, Narcan, uh, and naloxone is um, a drug that is used, that is basically produced from Thuvain. Huh. We published that demonstration, that proof of principle demonstration in 2015. Um, okay. And so that was, and again, that was done um, prior to us starting Anthea. It was yeah. uh, done in our the academic lab at Stanford. And again, that that particular demonstration um, it took over a decade, right, wow. uh, to to be, bring it all together. So it was a very long term project in my lab, uh -huh. for the very reasons that we discussed for all of these challenges, right. Um, and it was one that because I would say the the field in general viewed it to be impossible. Um, and thus not worth, you know, spending research dollars on. It was one that we spent a lot of time bootstrapping in my lab because uh -huh. I really had a lot of conviction that we could get this done. So you you published this paper to show that you can get yeast to produce this drug ingredient. What happens next? The next questions are, can it be done 
at an efficiency and scale such that this can really offer, you know, solutions, right, to the industry. Um, Because if you take what we showed in 2015, tried to scale it up, I mean, you would, it would not be offering a solution because it was so inefficient. It's still not efficiently converting the sugar to um, that drug ingredient such that it, it, it would just be too expensive because ultimately price is a big consideration. So, you know, there were, and just to give you a, like a sense of the degree, what we're, what we're discussing here, right again, in, when we look at what was demonstrated in 2015, you know, the yeast were producing very low concentrations of that drug ingredient. We at Anthea had to optimize that by over a million fold. Not, uh-huh. And not just in uh-huh. scale, but in efficiency of converting that had to be able to produce a million times higher concentration uh-huh. of that drug ingredient than what we demonstrated. A million times more drug per unit sugar. Exactly. Right. Or per unit yeast cell, really. Right. So the yeast has to get way, way, way better. Sure, it can make yes, the drug. Yeah. It's really bad at making the drug in 2015. Right, exactly. It's so- terrible at making it. You barely <laughs> make it. Exactly. That's sort of independent of scale, uh, you know, in terms uh-huh. of like the volume that you're producing. It's saying, okay, yeast, you know, whether you're, we're growing you at a mill or we're growing you at, you know, 100,000 liters, we need you to really step up your game <laughs> in yeah, terms right. of, um, right. you know, converting that sugar into the drug product. And so, again, that comes back to a lot. It's an engineering problem. So, okay, this is uh, the next problem you have. What, you know, what, what are some of the things you do to increase efficiency? So, you know, again, if we come back to this idea of, you know, you're assembling a, a car in a factory, right, and it's going through these different lines to sort of build it in a modular way, that's, you know, the, the sort of manufacturing assembly line that you've developed is sort of where you want your your drug ingredient to stay on track, right? Uh-huh. But it is operating within this more broader complex system of the yeast. And so the yeast will have just natural processes that it's developed and some of those will actually begin to interface with the assembly line that you've put in. Right. And so it can right. start the yeast, to... the yeast is busy being a yeast cell, right? Like yeah. the yeast was not born <laughs> to make this drug ingredient. And it's, you know, it's busy, as you say, being a yeast cell. It has its own objectives that it wants to achieve, right? In terms of, you know, growing, you know, doubling and, you know, producing its, it own, its own products. Dreams. And so, yeah. Yeah, it has its own dreams and you know things that it wants to accomplish. And so it's, you know, the natural pro- system that you put it within is basically interfacing with that assembly line that you've put it in. And in many cases, right, those natural systems can actually pull away or divert, you know, your uh-huh. drug ingredient from uh-huh. the desired endpoint. Um, just, you know, because of these interactions. That's the weird thing. Like the yeast is making <laughs> you crazy, but like the yeast is also like the thing that's making the thing you need. That, I exactly. Mean, that is right. A, and yeah. so you have to, you have to really balance that very carefully because, and so, I mean, you want the yeast to be multiplying because every time it multiplies, it's providing another cell factory that's going yeah. to produce drug ingredients. So you, yeah. it's this balance between allowing the yeast to obtain its objectives, which also feed into your objectives, but then where it is, you know, being disruptive to your process, trying to make surgical changes that will still allow the yeast to be relatively happy, yeah. you know, and feel like it is doing what it needs to do, but still, but then allowing more of your drug ingredient to grow to, to go towards the product that you ultimately want to produce. A few weeks ago, Anthea announced that they had completed their first manufacturing scale production of the bay, and they plan to start selling the ingredient to drug makers next year. We'll be back in a minute. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, 
your social life? What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Okay, 10 seconds. How many things can you name that are always growing? The universe, easy one. Um, my kids, so far. Uh, to-do lists. Uh, for this month, my sugar snap peas. I know that's not always. I know I'm out of time, but I'm going to give you one more. Businesses on Shopify. <laughs> Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. There are key moments in every endeavor. I ask pretty much everybody I interview on this show about their key moments, their breakthroughs, their failures, their turnarounds, and Shopify can be there for you at all of your key moments. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash problem. Go to shopify.com slash problem now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash problem. Hello, hello. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. Let me tell you an unconventional story about a healthcare group that wanted to improve their efficiency. Boston Children's Hospital. They were already a leading pediatric facility. Their patient outcomes, workflows, and delivery of care were already great. But they wondered, how can we make it better? So the hospital got to work. Their idea was to build what they called clinical mobility, meaning a system which would allow their staff to access information and interact with patients on mobile devices anywhere in the hospital. And what made that possible? 5G. The hospital rebuilt their entire system with 5G technology at its core. That infrastructure now supports thousands of phones and tablets so practitioners can communicate with patients on a whole new level. Boston Children's also made sure the system could flex and scale to handle medical advancements like robotic surgery and virtual reality for training and research. This was worlds away from how they had previously operated. This innovative work hasn't gone unnoticed, first by patients, but also by their peers. Boston Children's was a first place winner in the industry category at last year's unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event that celebrates customers who've dared to innovate for the sake of innovation. If the Boston Children's story rings a bell with you, if your team has asked the same questions about building a better business solution, I encourage you to enter this year's awards. It's a great way to be recognized for smart, disruptive thinking in front of some of your industry's most influential leaders. You can enter at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. I'll save you a seat.
Now, back to the show. So let's talk about drug shortages. It's this, to me, still somewhat strange phenomenon in the United States, a country where, you know, we're a rich country and we spend tons of money on drugs, although I know generic drugs are cheap and that's part of the thing and we can talk about that. But it is remarkable how widespread and persistent drug shortages are, shortages in particular of generic drugs. And they seem to be increasing over the last few years. What's going on there? I mean, I think one thing that has been noted and that is notable is that in the U.S., we do not have um, manufacturing capacity to produce uh, drug ingredients or drug products, really, right? It's very limited. Most of the drugs that we consume are basically produced outside of the U.S., about 90%. What that ultimately plays into quite a bit is a lack of transparency and control over these supply chains, right? Because we don't have any uh, domestic capacity, because the supply chains actually are quite complex in terms of the different players involved, oftentimes we don't have a lot of notice or... Um, yeah, really notice or transparency into if we expect that there's going to be an issue with the supply chain, right? There's just, okay. again, very limited transparency. It's it's very difficult to track through all the supply chains. Now, when you talk about just manufacturing technology for drugs and the ways that they're being manufactured, there's essentially two different ways that all of our drugs are being produced, right? We talked uh, about agricultural sourcing, which a lot of that is sort of where we focus. But again, about 40% of our drugs are being produced through agricultural sourcing. These are you know, very complex, basically drug ingredients. We cannot produce them at scale with chemical synthesis. And so we still basically rely on bio biological synthesis to produce to, them. To be clear, you mean they come from plants? Plants, sometimes other animals, right? right. Uh, So, you know, there are uh, drug ingredients that are extracted from animals um, or even, you know, sometimes it could be rare marine coral. I mean, you know, but so you do really get a spectrum. I think the bulk of it is going to be plants, but it will meld into other areas. But all of these, you can imagine these supply chains are increasingly vulnerable. If you're farming in a small number of areas across the globe and you have a fire that goes through a region or a flood or, you know, any one of the sort of climate catastrophes we're sort of seeing at an increasing frequency, that can really wipe out um, basically the crops and a large fraction of the material that's being produced in any given year. Um, and so there can have these variabilities, right? right? Also variabilities in farming practices, variability in pest and disease that go through an area. The point is that there's a lot of vulnerability and variability that is becoming increasingly difficult to predict and also just increasing in frequency. So what that means is that supplies can vary right? From year to year, from growing season to growing season. And the other thing is because the manufacturing cycles are so long, you know, any one of these, because of the time it takes to grow the the biomass or the organism, right? To complete a manufacturing cycle for most medicinal plants, it can be two years to sometimes five years, right? Just because of how slow they might grow. So if you wipe out a, a crop for any given growing season, you don't have the ability to just grow more, right? You have to replant, reseed, that can take years. So there's no ability to sort of respond rapidly if demand changes or if, you know, part of your supply chain basically goes down. With fermentation, right? Now what you have is very sort of consistent infrastructure. It's basically a fermentation vat. Whether you're producing a chemotherapeutic, a sedative, an anti-infective, uh-huh. right? Or, or a pain medication, Regardless of what ingredient you're producing, the infrastructure is the same. You're basically swapping in different strains of yeast. And the manufacturing cycle time is so fast, right? It's basically two weeks, a week to grow the yeast, get the drug produced, and then another several days to purify it, to really pure form. So because of the fast manufacturing cycle time, and then because the infrastructure 
is very readily repurposable, right? Because ultimately it's the same. You can and and you can actually switch a facility from producing a chemotherapeutic to producing a sedative in a matter of two days. So the the dream is to be the swing supplier for whatever ingredient is in short supply in a way that people who are using traditional technologies cannot be because of the nature of the technology. Yeah, I mean, I would let me just say, I think. I think for uh, for me, the dream is actually to disrupt the market, right? I mean, yeah. we shouldn't be farming drug ingredients. It's very wasteful from a resource perspective. Yeah. That land can be used to produce food, right? And other products that, yeah. you know, we need for a growing population, yeah. right? You waste a lot of biomass. You waste a lot of water. I mean, other things, because most of that plant material, you're basically throwing away. Right. It's just not a good use of resources. So really the dream is this technology should disrupt and transform the industry, it, it just makes more sense, right? It, it can actually provide these ingredients at a cheaper cost. It could provide them at a more consistent, better quality, right? And it's, it's just a more efficient use of resources. So it really should be that transformation in the industry. We'll be back in a minute with the lightning round. You probably think it's too soon to join AARP, right? Well, let's take a minute to talk about it. Where do you see yourself in 15 years? More specifically, your career, your health, your social life. What are you doing now to help you get there? There are tons of ways for you to start preparing today for your future with AARP. That dream job you've dreamt about? Sign up for AARP reskilling courses to help make it a reality. How about that active lifestyle you've only spoken about from the couch? AARP has health tips and wellness tools to keep you moving for years to come. But none of these experiences are without making friends along the way. Connect with your community through AARP volunteer events. So it's safe to say it's never too soon to join AARP. They're here to help your money, health, and happiness live as long as you do. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash wisefriend. Hello, hello. Malcolm Gladwell here from Revisionist History. If you've watched a professional tennis match recently, you'll know that fans had this amazing new tool at their disposal. It was created by the consulting company Infosys and the Association of Tennis Professionals. It's an immersive 3D viewing experience for tennis fans, which allows them to watch matches from new angles, get real-time statistics, and better understand the inner workings of the game and its athletes. Basically, a completely new, data-driven way to appreciate a tennis match. It's been a huge hit, and I'm proud to say that the Infosys Tennis Platform earned first place in the customer experience category at the Unconventional Awards from T-Mobile for Business, an event held at Mobile World Congress in Las Vegas that celebrates customers who've boldly innovated for the sake of meaningful change. And I think it's important to point out that innovation like this doesn't just require a great idea and exploit some great underlying technology. It takes courage. Because tennis is a game with a long history and some pretty powerful traditions. I mean, you can only wear white at Wimbledon. Still, it's the 21st century. And here was an idea that said we can dramatically change the way a fan watches a match. We can feed them data. We can allow them to see things they could never see before with the naked eye, or even conventional camera angles. 
If you want to turn the world upside down, you have to have a pretty strong backbone. That's a lot of what the T-Mobile for Business Unconventional Awards are all about. Finding people and companies who show that kind of boldness. I encourage you to enter. It's a fantastic event and a great way to be recognized for your brave, outside-the-box thinking in front of the industry's most influential leaders. And an even better way to say, I told you so. You can enter by July 31st at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. That's tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. Back to the show. We just have to do a lightning round and then you can go. As a professor of bioengineering, what do you understand about biology and or engineering that most people don't understand? I think, you know, one thing is as engineers, we provide solution, we develop solutions with imperfect data, right? And imperfect knowledge of the system. We have to have enough knowledge and enough data to provide solutions that are going to be meaningful, that are going to scale. Yeah, right. But I, and I think that can be at odds with a biologist, right, or someone who's studying the pure science, where we really want to understand all the nuance, you know, understand everything and sort of the beautiful detailed intricacy. What's your favorite yeast? <laughs> I, I really do like Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Um, okay. And, you know, basically, tell, tell me about Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Well, it's a, <laughs> it's, a, it's a strain of yeast that we use at Anthea, but it's also the strain of, right, it's also yeast that are used again as uh, brewer's yeast, you know, baker's yeast, right? If you weren't working on drug ingredients, what would you be working on? <laughs> it's a good question. There's there's different ways to take that. I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of problems that are important in the context of synthetic biology. Um, you know, I could also, uh, I would love to also, there's another part of my life and sort of a second life that I might live where I'm in a very different industry, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, but that that did not, that is not the road that we took. What like I feel like there's a very particular thing in your mind as you say that. What is that? No, no, no. I mean, I uh... What uh, you're thinking of something. What is the thing? <laughs> I always I always joke uh with my friends that I would love to just, you know, my retirement plan basically after all of this is to go be like I don't know, an assistant um, to someone like Wes Anderson who makes these incredible films yeah. <laughs> that, you know, I adore and I feel, you know, and, and really just create these very interesting worlds. And I, I feel like I just would want to, you know, maybe get his coffee or, or something. Do you think of going into the movies when you were whatever in college or something? I mean, in high school, I actually spent all my time in drama, uh, oh. right? Basically, you know, doing school plays, doing musicals, I mean, all that stuff. So 
And I really thought up until the point of I was making decisions to apply to college, um, you know, I thought that I would go into basically theater um, and, you know, do theater, do movies, whatever. And then I just, you know, as I was actually applying, kind of had a, a re- revelation of, do I really want to do that, you know, for the rest of my life? It actually seemed difficult. Um, not that what we're doing now isn't difficult, but it seemed difficult in a way that maybe was difficult, you know, even as much work as I could put in, right? It's it's not necessarily, you can't necessarily project the outcome. Um, and even at that time, you know, it was sort of taking a step back and saying, you know, what can I do? What do I want to do? Which allows me to sort of build, create, um, you know, and, and make things and produce things, but something that could really have a meaningful impact right on the world. And so that kind of, that then led me to engineering, you know, engineering with biology and, and, and really that sort of started that route as I went into college. I've taken up enough of your time. Uh, <laughs> is there anything else you want to say? Um, no, I think you've done a great job of directing the conversation. So hopefully it's, um, you know, yeah, it's interesting and at a good level for the <laughs> I'm, I'm not at all worried. Sometimes at the end of interviews, I'm like, how am I going to make this work? This is going to be an easy one. This was great. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Christina Smolke is the co-founder and CEO of Anthea. Today's show was edited by Karen Shikurji, produced by Edith Russelo, and engineered by Amanda K. Wong. You can email us at problem at pushkin.fm. We are always, always, always trying to find interesting new guests for the show. So if there's somebody you think we should book, please let us know. I'm Jacob Goldstein, and we'll be back next week with another episode of What's Your Problem? Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're really choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.